it's always about the team that's behind it. So if you do not have a co-founder, then um, yeah, what are you doing really? Hey, Selina, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing really good. Thank you for inviting me. Great, thanks. I am excited. I made my homework and I saw a lot of interesting things about you. Mm -hmm. So it will be great if you can help me connect the dots in this session. First of all, I saw that you're a certified goldsmith. Yes, right, exactly. You have been a jewelry designer in India. Mm -hmm, yes. You also had your own jewelry company before finding Zilva. Yes. Which is your current company doing software for gold sellers, right? Yes, gold buyers. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so is that a good introduction? Yes, it was a perfect introduction, <laughs> yeah. So now if you ask me what is my background, you have already taken <laughs> this job for me. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Let's start with how you got into the craft of gold. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So it was a long journey for me. As a teenager, I was a little bit of a rebel. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started with a background in fashion because this was a way for me to express myself. And uh, I wanted to be different from my family background. So I went to fashion school in Switzerland and then I started um, studying fashion management But I stopped the studies after a few semesters mm -hmm. and I, I went uh, a different path and that was the vocational training to um, goldsmithing. Yeah, so for me it was really a way to break free from this concept of, okay, you do your school and then you go and study. So I was a little bit of a rebel and goldsmithing for me was the first time that I really found something where I was like, okay, this is my place, here I belong. And uh, it was, I think I was like the first person in my family not to study after school. So it was like, many times you hear people uh, talk about how they are the first people to go study to university. And for me, it was exactly like the other way around, so... Yeah. And how did you exactly decide leaving university? Mm -hmm. You know, I was just always someone who decides to do stuff that I really feel are the right path for me. And if I feel bored or I feel like I have to push through something that I don't have a passion for, then I get really depressed and angry and aggressive a little bit as well, so... For me, it was just a journey of deciding what is my path and where do I belong. And I can't really put it down to one situation where I decided it, but rather like always trying to learn and find a place where I fit in. So you were at Switzerland at the time. And how did you decide to go to Spain to do that internship of mm -hmm. uh, being a goldsmith? So Switzerland was directly after Abitur. So I was actually one of the G7. So that means uh, I was 17 when I made my Abitur. Mm -hmm. And then I went for one year to Switzerland to fashion school. And after that, I went back to Germany. And there I studied fashion management. And the internship, uh, that was um, quite late already close to my India experience. I worked two years to get the job in India. And um, also Barcelona was just like listening to people who tell me, hey, why don't you go to this or that place and then really do it? 
you know, because oftentimes you, you get cool tips of people telling you, why don't you check out Barcelona? Why don't you check out India? And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And you never do it. But yeah. I was like, in, in this period of my life, I was like, yes, I will do it. And I just did it. I think there you can already see this character of just starting stuff. And um, that's also, I guess, why I yeah, landed in the startup scene. Just do it and just go for it. How did you decide going to India? Because it's a long journey. Probably you didn't have a lot of experience before going to India, right? Right. Uh, so I was doing yoga as well. I was a little in my hippie phase, you know. And, um, and so I was thinking about going to India for yoga, like everyone, you know. And um, then I met someone who came from a place actually Varanasi is it's the spiritual place and he told me that he grew up in a place full of jewelers and you shouldn't go to India for yoga you should go to India for jewelry and then I started thinking hmm actually you are right India is the place for precious metals for gold and for jewelry so I started digging into the topic and I found a, um, a teacher at our school at our academy Uh, who had a company in India, I found out later on. And then I started approaching her, and first she was really spectacle about me being a little... Um, I was a little... I dressed different than I dress today, mm -hmm. and so she was a little skeptical about me, but I just kept on digging into it and kept on approaching her, and it worked out. Uh, somehow, after a period of two years, uh, I got the job, and I was really happy when I got the yes from the bosses. I, then I had to call the boss in India. I was, I was super nervous. <laughs> um, but it worked out, and it was a really, really interesting experience. It seems like you didn't choose a traditional path. Mm -hmm. Because you left school mm -hmm. and then you were a goldsmith and then you went to India. Mm -hmm. I imagine your parents maybe <laughs> were a bit scared. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a whole journey. Now they really, um, they support me so much and... Um, They, I can really feel them in my back, whatever happens. And I actually have to say, over my whole period of my whole life, it was like that. But there were times where they were super scared about uh, what is going on with this girl doing all these crazy things, because I come from a um, family of doctors, so really conservative and really you have to go your life. You do your school, then you go study, and that's how it is. And um, I think that I carried a little bit the, my mother's uh, will of um, taking another pass, but then she decided uh, the way her mother wanted it for her instead of going uh, on her own will. Mm -hmm. So I think um, somehow I felt this and it brought me to a place where I just had to break free. And um, it was, yeah, it was a process for them to accept it. But I think in the long run, they are happy because it made them also reflect on uh, their own issues. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was it scary to bet on yourself, especially looking at your parents? They were doctors. I assume that your friends were taking the traditional path, which is mm -hmm. going to the university and taking a job. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, were you scared at the time? 
I mean, I actually, I always went the path where I was frightened the most somehow. Uh, I always felt like I need to grow and I need to take uh, the most difficult path for whatever reason. I think uh, I wouldn't um, recommend it, to be honest, <laughs> because it comes with a lot of weight as well. But um, but yeah, I, I also wrote a LinkedIn post about this actually, that growth comes um, lays where discomfort uh, starts, you know. Yeah. And uh, you can only grow with challenges. And somehow I always had the drive in me to really just go for it and, and do it. So, yeah. So it made sense for yeah. you to bet on yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's just uh, somehow natural. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about... Why did you switch from your own jewelry company to supporting other businesses? Yeah, good questions. I mean, I mean, um, um, not to supporting other companies, but more like uh, founding a software company, right? Which is a really different uh, situation. I mean, yes, I come from this background, but uh, selling and buying precious metals is... Uh, it is my area of expertise, but it is, it's not the focus that I have studied. And uh, for me, the jewelry um, company, it was, I, I had to come back early from India because of the pandemic. So um, I had a contract for six months and I wanted to stay even longer for a, f a couple of years. And uh, then the pandemic hit and it was really a crazy experience to be in Rajasthan alone yeah. and everyone was fleeing to their um, little places and homes. So I was completely alone in the city. And um, I came back to Berlin and I started my first company. And it, this was just because I knew, I knew what it is to do, how to make jewelry and stuff like this. But I actually wanted to lead a growing company. And so for me, it was a process of understanding what it means to make a company that can be successful and can be different from other companies. And a jewelry company, a design label is not such. Yeah, So there are already a million jewelry companies and no one needs another jewelry company to be honest and for me yeah that was just a learning process to understand okay if you want to raise capital then why should anybody give you money that's you have to answer for yourself and um and and it's not even about only raising money but this was my learning um, process It is also just about um, yeah, finding a fit where organic growth can start. And um, so I was looking for business opportunities. I was also always talking to my little brother who also is starting a, um, a startup with the university right now. And we were talking about uh, ideas and business opportunities and I dropped to him, um, let's make a gold app. Yeah, and yeah. this was the first idea. Yeah, And then I looked into it and I was like, hmm, there are already gold apps. And then I left it a little on the side and I went on. I also had a side job at the time. And so, um, so yeah, it was just a learning process. And then a few things in my personal life came together. 
And I was like, you know what? I really I have to change something. I'm not happy with this jewelry company. I don't want to be a designer. <laughs> I want to lead a company, you know. Yeah. And um, and then I started digging into the gold buying uh, sector and really understanding their processes and analyzing what they are doing and how could it be better or is it even justified that I want to go in this area or not. And I found somehow my fit where I really thought, okay, this could be better and let's do it. And how can we solve it? So, yeah. Can you explain mm -hmm. Silver to me? Yeah, of course. So, it's an intelligent chatbot. So, okay, let's start differently. <laughs> It, yeah, because we want you to understand. And let's not start with the software, but let's start with the problem. So, if I, Selena, uh, have old gold because my grandmother died and I want to sell it but I have zero understanding about precious metals then the first thing I, uh, that I do is I sit down on the table and I research where I could sell it and the problem is that I don't know I'm unsure about the type of alloy I'm unsure about the weight and I have to decide which shipping method to use regarding the value but that I'm unsure about. So there are just too many questions for me to sell it online, which is why the biggest part of the market is still being handled offline. So it's a really traditional market still where you just take your stuff and you go to a shop or to a jeweler where you feel comfortable maybe, but they take a, such a low price, they give you such low money that there is not enough transparency in the market. And our solution is um, um, we transfer the offline expert to the online world and so we can advise the people who want to sell their jewelry or all jewelry or coins, bullions, whatever physical gold it is. And we can help them through the process, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> I think this can also increase the sales, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what... Why we do it for, we, I mean, we are B2B SaaS uh, concept. So we sell uh, software to companies. And that's exactly uh, the problem that the traffic of the existing businesses just drop off. And if you put money into Google Ads in this area, it's super expensive. And they have no idea where their potential customer goes afterwards. So we really establish loyalty to the customer. We get in touch and we can also, of course, then extract more data from the potential clients. Can you paint us a picture on who your clients are? Yeah, so gold buying businesses. <laughs> But it could be, um, I mean, the market is really big mm -hmm. and... Um, We are talking to gold-buying businesses that uh, have investment products uh, to sell as well as buying old gold, like old jewelry. Then refineries are interesting for us as well. And then the small shops as well and pawn shops are also interesting. And then the jewelers that have online presence. Do you find these people yourself? Yes, uh, I'm founder-led sales, yeah. We have a, a sale team member as well. Um, but the bigger deals that we are targeting um, is uh, are led by me because that's super important for us at this stage as we are still early 
And how do you get people on board to use this product? Because as you said, it's a traditional market, right? Mm -hmm. So I assume that people in this market should be also a bit traditional minded. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. I mean, um, I walked to smaller businesses in the past and I really tried to understand the mindset of these people, these gold buying businesses. And I can see that they are interested but they have a hard time deciding to do the next step. And therefore, it's really important to um, have bigger companies on board who are more visionary, who understand what it means to implement technology and to use technology for for, the next steps and to really bring more value to to the product they already have. So yes, that's um, what was the question. I'm sorry, I hope I answered it. <laughs> I'm just curious how these clients in this traditional market see the value of the product. Right, yes. I mean, they have the problem. So, you know, um, they even if they use traffic like Google Ads, they put a lot of money into it, but they can't uh, extract data from the customers because they have almost uh, zero um, conversion rate online yeah mm-hmm. so our product really goes in there and starts um, getting in touch with the potential client and most of these um, businesses they see the problem but the more the smaller businesses are more like uh, waiting hmm, who else does it do does anyone else have the product already so it's important to uh, go with a more innovative and bigger company who are so big because they didn't shy away from making decisions to use technology for them for example yeah yeah is it easy to get new clients I mean, we are the only startup in this market. Um, It's easy to um, get um, the first conversations, yes, because um, they are almost uh, obligated to talk to us, to know what's out there, yeah? As they are big market-leading companies, they have have to understand the market and what's going on. And since we are the only startup there, uh, it is easy to get in touch with the bigger companies, yes. And I saw that you have a technical co-founder. How did you find each other? I found, uh, first I had a different one, yeah. Um, he made me the intro to this one. And then we, were, we had a phase where we were three, uh, but we, we found out that the first one was not a fit anymore. Like even also comparing to the new um, one, Philip, who is my co-founder, and um, it didn't really make sense to go further along with the three of us. So the first one, he stepped back. So being in Berlin and having this network helped you in that sense because you were able to find the first one and then actually, that person introduced you to the second one? Yeah, actually I did it um, because when I started this one year and a few months ago, I didn't really have um, network at all in the startup scene. So I was starting completely from the ground and I found the first one through through the internet, actually, through a platform and um, from there it went on. And I, I was just really super lucky that I found Philip because we are, um, in terms of being a co-founding team, we are the perfect match. Like, 
we um, never shy away from uh, having different opinions and we always keep it neutral. If we decide something, we really go for it 100%. And we do not shy away from changing the strategy if we see that something doesn't work out. And we have the same set of core values, but at the same time, we think very different. So, yeah, I couldn't have uh, found a better match in such short amount of time, really. And you said that you started earlier than these co-founders, mm, right? Yes, yeah. What can a non-technical person do before finding a technical uh, partner? I think the first step when you start, when you decided you want to found a company is finding a co-founder and nothing else. Really stop thinking, ah, let's do some product first or let's do some fundraising. Sometimes I hear people say, oh yeah, I'm doing a little bit of fundraising and I'm like, okay, do you have a co-founder? Like, <laughs> that doesn't make sense in my view at least. So just put a full-time job for one month into it and find yourself as many intro calls as you can. And dig deep in the internet over university networks or also incubator networks. It's super important. You cannot build a fast-growing company on your own. That's just never going to work. It's always about the team that's behind it. So if you do not have a co-founder, then um, yeah, what are you doing really? Because <laughs> yeah, because you want to think big, and you cannot build something big when you're alone. As an, an advice, I would just say really put one or two months of like full-time job, a focus into finding a co-founder, and then just yeah, use all the possibilities that are out there. So yeah. So the most tangible breakpoint in the beginning is to find a co-founder? I think it's the first step. For me, it was the first step. And I really went crazy. When I want something, that's how I got my job in India. That's how I um, started my company. Or also how I found my apartment here in Berlin. When I want <laughs> something, I really go crazy for at least one month or two, depending how long it takes, whatever it takes. And that's how I did it. And that's why I think I was so lucky so fast. It's not only luck, it's the amount of energy you put into something that brings you something in the end. Yeah, It's a calculation of probability. Having a co-founder is super, super important. And for me, it was the first step because I understood from the beginning I can never do this alone. Yeah. So you are an ambitious person. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. What would you say your goals are for maybe the next five years? For the next five years, my goals are really focused on the company. I do not see myself traveling a lot. I, I did that my whole life. And now my goals are being settled here in Berlin and really building this company, whatever comes out of it. That's my goal, to build this company. <laughs> But <is> whatever that <laughs> means, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So do you have a definition of what that means? What would your goal be for the company? For the company, I mean, I want I want to grow. In five years, I want to ex expand internationally. I'm interested in the Indian market, of course, because I have network there. I understand a little bit the culture there. India and also the US is interesting for us as a company. 
And uh, I've already looked a little bit into the markets. Um, the solutions there do not differ a lot from what we have here. And so my goal in five years would be to uh, go internationally and already before that being established in Europe. I also want to ask you, so there are a lot of people in Berlin who want to find their own company or own startup. Mm -hmm. And what were the things that speeded up the creation of Zilba? For example, after the found, after finding a co-founder, does it make sense to talk with the startup incubator or make a pilot with a pilot group or gathering feedback from your network, for example? Right, of course, that makes sense. And to be honest, I wish I would have known about all the offerings that are here in Berlin or also in other places like incubation programs, accelerators, although I'm not a fan of accelerators, to be honest, because they take in general shares. And um, I don't think that at that um, point of time, it's a good idea to give away uh, shares if you are only at the idea stage. Um, but that's another topic. So I it would have been really helpful for me to know and understand what kind of offerings are out there, which no, now I know, but now we are so far along the process that, yeah, it's almost kind of too late. And uh, I think there are really cool programs also with... Um, with a Gründungsstipendium, yeah, where you really get a salary because money in the end for the first months to one year is, is it's just really, really important that you can live securely and and do not have to worry the whole time about money, which you will do anyways. But <laughs> but yes, so th all these offerings are super important. And I think uh, what I maybe would have wanted to do if I if I had the knowledge uh, beforehand I would first apply to incubation programs and stuff like that and really uh, see if I can get some uh, grants and stuff like that which I was not aware of so I think this helps a lot and then um, to the point of the product it is super important to test your idea I mean Uh, that's also what we here in the incubation in the incubator um, learn all the time. You have to validate your ideas. And what we did, for example, we had a study period uh, directly on the market as an individual buyer, and we just did A B testings and we gave and then we put traffic on the website. We gave um, the traffic, the potential customers, the possibility to choose between different buttons and different offerings to understand really, okay, does it make sense what we are offering here? Is there a need in the market? Because if there is no need, then you don't have a product. You don't have uh, your business opportunity that you think you have. So validating testing is super important. And I think even you could do stuff like that uh, on the side if you have a job or something before you go 120% into it. Because it will be hard if you do not have... I mean, we are now in 2023 where the market environment, the macroeconomics are super harsh. You can feel it everywhere. Wherever you go to the networking events, someone is talking about bankruptcy or at least that they are thinking about stopping and it's sad because those are really like innovative thinkers and really cool people that I admire a lot 
and they do not get any funding. So if you do not have numbers, you can go home, let's say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so validating and then finding your first customers. Yeah. Whatever concept you have, you need to find customers. This this is what is going to change uh, your business. If you can make money, then maybe you don't even need to raise funds, you know, uh, or at least not to the same uh, extent. And it doesn't make sense to build companies two years in without generating any mo money, any revenue. So that's, I think, what I would suggest. Find your, even before having a, a product, go pitch. If it's a B2B solution, go pitch your product without even having a product to companies that could be interested. And if they find it interesting, then you have something. And if you, they then even want to go forward and negotiate with you, then that's the best way you can take. Yeah, Because then you make money even before having a finished product. And I think people um, get too, too focused on developing something and think if it's ready or when it's ready, then I can sell it. But sell before even developing, because that's the ultimate proof of concept. That's very good advice. <laughs> yes. Well, these were all my questions. Thanks so much for answering each and every one of those. It was great talking with you yeah. about this. Where can our listeners reach you? I mean, on LinkedIn, of course, always uh, Zelina and then R for my middle name, Oxner, O-C-H-S-N-E-R. And um, that's about it. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs>